When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. I can't believe it. It's been over seven years and now over 700 episodes since I started this podcast. And we're still going strong. And the idea is to interview really smart people who are doing cool things and making waves in the world of business. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk more about this whole idea around employee retention, what to do in this year where so many people are quitting their jobs and moving on, and why employers need to be paying attention to this topic. And my guest today is Jeremy Torisk. And I'll tell you what, he is awesome. Now, before we get into the interview, I have to thank one of the sponsors of this episode. This episode is brought to you by Stanton Chase International, one of the leading global executive search firms serving as trusted advisors to help companies build their senior leadership team. And for those of you who listen to this show regularly, you know that I work with Stanton Chase International. Therefore, if you're looking to build your senior leadership team, reach out to me and I can connect you with the best executive search consultants anywhere in the world. All right. Speaking of growing your teams, Jeremy, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Thanks for having me here. Making waves. That's what I do every single day. When I wake up out of, out of bed every day, I look at going out in the world and seeing who I can help, who I can touch. And, uh, Flat is boring, so I like to make some waves. Being from South Florida, it's uh, it's what I connect with. Nice, nice. Well, you have kind of an interesting background. You know, a lot of people we we interview on here went to fancy Northeastern private colleges and worked their way up through some big consulting firm and then through whatever thing, started their own business or whatever. Uh, tell us about your background. It's a little different than most people I interview. Yeah, I, I like to say I went to screw you. Uh, <laughs> basically, I was... <laughs> I was brought up in a house unlike my, not many others on a set, uh, kind of like shameless, right? For, uh, on a scale of full house to shameless on Showtime, I was brought up around eight, right? Next to shameless, which is uh, my, my house was party central. My parents were drug addicts and alcoholics and uh, unfortunately nurturing us and encouraging us to do well in school just wasn't on the menu. So we grew up kind of free willed and just doing what we wanted to do and uh, being school, going to school and paying attention wasn't really on that for me, but, uh, we had a lot of uncles visiting the house. So you had to get some street smarts really fast. And, and it was just, it was just not a fun environment, but, uh, luckily at 20 years old, um, I had a mindset shift. So I had left home at 16 or 17, just right, better off homeless on my own couch surfing than in that mess. Uh, but at 20 years old, I had a mindset shift when I found out that, I wasn't that technically related to my father. He wasn't my real father. And that was kind of a bombshell phone call from my grandmother just in passing. He just happened to drop that nugget. And uh, at the time, I was digging di digging ditches. 
And so, uh, I like to say I, I started from the bottom and worked my way up, but I actually started from the bottom and worked my way down. Cause I was still digging ditches for about a year after that. But with my mindset, the way it was just had some freedom now and I could be whatever I wanted to be. And I just, I got promoted time and time again, worked as hard as I could. And really over 30 years worked my way through the entire telco industry, just about every position you could possibly imagine. So it's interesting. I want to go back to this idea of the mind shift that happened at, at, at 20. So you'd, you'd come out of this, this somewhat not so great environment. And all of a sudden you find out that, Hey, that guy's not really my dad was the mind shift that if he's not my dad, then I don't have to be like him. What, what was the mind shift? Yes. Yeah. Because I was told my whole life, especially by his half of the family and proportionally his half of the family took up 80% of our family surroundings because they were Italian and Polish. And so there's like 22 cousins. We'd have you know dinner with every Sunday where my mom's side was like three cousins, but um, we saw them all pretty equally. So I had a lot more negative influence from his side of the family. They all knew, right? His sisters, like seven sisters, they all knew. So we always got this weird outsider feeling but I never heard it directly. And so I had or thought I was stupid. Turns out I was dyslexic, thought I was, um, you know, just a troublemaker. Turns out that's called street survival, right? When you want to fight a lot. And, and I was very protective of my family. So I was a, almost like a bully bully, right? If I saw someone picking on somebody, I'd step in and fight, which led to over a thousand street fights growing up because I was full of rage. I was very angry, but I had a couple of friends who loved me and thought I was really funny. So I had a great sense of humor and I was a drummer. Luckily my dad had a set of drums. So I played drums. So I was four really good at it. And so those were kind of my, my identifiers also. I had, you know, I was funny. I get, I loved music. So I had some passion in my inside me, but I also just had a lot of rage. So when I found out I wasn't tethered to that side of the family, I just thought, what if what's next? And then interestingly enough, another two years looking for my biological father back before the age of internet, I had a, I got a phone call, finally phone number to maybe a work where he worked. And the lady picked up the phone and said, law offices of, you know, Dewey screw and how I'm changing the names to protect the innocent. But basically I found out my father was a lawyer, an attorney. And so bam, now I'm not tethered to these people and I'm smart. I have lawyer DNA. And even though I never met that man, I only spoke to him for five minutes. I knew I was smart. And from that point on, the sky was the limit. I just, I just, I just changed just because I believe that I was smart. And it was really incredible. So that's so interesting because I think a mindset shift is so important for people in business, whether they're, whether they're on the, the, the top end of their career or whether they're just starting out. When you can make that shift, you can actually, you know, do entirely, you know, change the whole trajectory of your, of your life and your career. But not everybody who comes from bad, you know, situations, you know, can get out of it. What do you think it was besides realizing that, that, Hey, I, I, that guy's my, you know, my real dad was smart. Maybe I'm smart. What else do you think allowed you to change your direction? Sure. Well, what happened was I started notifying, noticing that the successes in my life, no matter how small, were taking me a step closer to my goals. And so I started, you know, just accepting that I deserved to be promoted and I would go to work. I wrote a book called Labor to Leadership, where I talked about going to work every day and didn't want to talk with all the guys in the parking lot before the shift started talking about how much they drank and how much they were out carousing. I used to just go sweep the floor 
And so I found out if you just stayed busy, do things that uh, before people asked you to do, that my first three promotions came because the owner saw me sweeping the floor every day. No one ever asked me to. I found out afterwards about that. And that kind of showed me that um, that's a proactive mindset. All right. So I didn't read anything, Napoleon Hill or anything. I, I read that after. And I was like, that was me. I went from a reactive mindset to a proactive mindset. And all of these little actions were paying off in a big way. And it's something that you see in hindsight, but that mindset, that, that charge forth that you're, I'm not the smartest. I couldn't do things the fastest. My truck was the piece of crap truck, but it got me to my jobs. I got the jobs done. I was the first at work, the last to leave, and no one outworks the kid. And that really paid off over the long run. So you, you worked your way up in the telecom industry. You ended up with your own business, which you recently sold. And now you do business advising and, and professional speaking around this whole topic of, of relating to employees. As you grew your business, what were some of the things you noticed about employees that have led you to this line of work you're in now? Well, the, the number one thing that is so lucky because I always had such bad examples <laughs> growing up, bad examples when parent made me a great parent and bad examples working for people who are horrible bosses made me a really good boss. So one of the first companies that really gave me a chance when I left the cable company um, and really, really opened my eyes and gave me a lot of responsibility was a company who had horrible employee relations. And so they kind of had the, the beatings will continue until the morale improves uh, mindset, you know, like kind of the company logo. And so I knew that when I left them eventually and started my own business, that that wasn't going to be the case, that no matter what happens, I was going to be treating people with the platinum rule instead of the golden rule, which is treat them the way they want to be treated. I started seeing that if you figured out how to talk to people the way they like to be talked to, I could get so much more out of them. And so ownership kind of puts their role, their stamp on a company, and then everyone follows suit, the mood, the attitude, it all takes, it takes that form. And although we build a lot of money, we broke a lot of things, we damaged a lot of stuff out in the streets, we got into like arguments with the inspectors, but when I switched it to this proactive and, and platinum rule stuff, when I treated the employees different, let them make the calls, make them set the, set the schedules, we actually made 20% more money and the, the, the work was being done cleaner. The inspectors loved us. I got a, a contract with Facebook just because of our attitude. Our competition was Mostech and Dicom, billion-dollar companies. We had 27 employees. And we got that contract because of our attitude and our track record of making people happy. AT&T, Windstream, really big stamp of approvals because of our personal relationships with them. So what do you think now is going on in the world of work when it comes to this whole idea of employee relations, employee engagement? Where, where has this shift been that's caused all the problems of, of late? Well, I think what happened was... Listen, anytime you have momentum, it's important. And an 18-month pause is a huge detriment and a huge problem to overcome, no matter what. No matter how great you were, when, when the shift happens this far and it takes 18 months to correct, and going from a work in office to a work at home, everyone had to do. And now they're seeing a lot of um, pros to that. But it, it, it calls for much more trust. Are you actually working? So what I like to train on is to look for results, not time. So time doesn't matter. Results do. If you're measuring the results, you have a baseline of what they did before. Are they still doing that now? Because if they're happier at home and more productive, maybe they're not working eight hours on the dot. Maybe they're working six hours, but you're still getting the same production. It's better because they're happier 
So what are you complaining about? Don't worry about the small stuff. Worry about the real stuff, the results, the KPIs. And what are the KPIs? That's shifted also. All right. So it's not the same old KPIs, the key point, key point indicators. Look at what moves your business and then measure the results. Don't measure, you know, having people under the same roof so you can see them all. Is your company growing? Is it shrinking? Are, are the people happy? Are they not happy? These are questions you have to ask, which you never had to ask before because you saw it. And even what you saw was a lie if you never really talked to your employees. So some companies are saying they're finding a lot of productivity amongst this work from home switch that they've been through. But a lot of people I talk to are like, yeah, I don't think my people are really working that much. Productivity's down. How can a company yeah. even tell without the people being there? Well, they have to be engaged. So a lot of ownerships, you know, they, they set their, their levels and they set their benchmarks and then they, they walk away. They're so busy chasing future work. They're not looking back at the, the work that they have in hand and appreciating it. So my first suggestion would be, let's look at what you got, come up with a plan to, to are you communicating with your employees? Is there a weekly, a monthly, uh, a, a quarterly goal that they're, they're trying to hit? Do they even know what the numbers are? You know, with this shift happens and everyone is now not seeing each other. So maybe they don't even know what the company goals are. And in fact, if your work kind of shifted and maybe your, your customers changed because now you get work, you get no customers because you've been out of work so long. Have you communicated the new standards to the, to the employee? So a lot of times it's, it's not a lot of times, every time it's the manager's C-level and owner's fault if they're not getting the production from the employees because they're not explaining the benchmarks to the employee. Awesome. Well, I've got a lot more questions for you before I'm going to let you go. But first, I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves in business like Jeremy Torisk. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, Jeremy, as a business advisor and professional speaker now, who is it that you help and, and what do you do for them and their teams? Well, I help small to medium-sized businesses as of right now, but I can help any size business because it's always train the trainer mentality anyway. So uh, if it, let's say there's a group of 10, I would go in there and give all 10 employees a disc profile assessment. And that will let the ownership know or the managers how the employees like to be talked to based on their personality traits. This is all science. It's a really easy 30 to 45 minute test uh, assessment, we call it. And then that um, would basically give the person a sheet of paper they could hang on their cubicle to say, hey, if you need something for me, these are the words that really get me going, right? That get me, if you use these words in these sentences, you can basically get anything you want out of me. Conversely, here's another sheet of paper. If you talk to me like this, I just don't respond that well. Imagine if you had a roadmap to speak to all of your employees before you walked up to them and the other employees and managers could see that. Then they would know exactly which questions to ask in the order to ask them and they would get the most out of those employees because they, everyone wants to please. 
That's why they have a, a job. That's why they're not business owners because they, they like to please their bosses and their managers. They want promotion. But if they're spoken down to or treated in a way that they just don't like, you're not going to get that enthusiasm. So it's the emotional quotient, teaching them how to look at uh, other people uh, at their emotional state and teaching them how to deal with them in a way that they like to be uh, treated. So that's really the basis of my um, dealings with companies. And again, if it's 10, I would do all 10 folks. If it's a hundred, I would do the top 10 managers and then train them to, to, to do their teams. And it's a real easy thing. And the most important thing is identifying the 20% of the top performers, identifying the top and the bottom 10% of the troublemakers, getting them out of here, then taking the middle, doing some conflict res, um, resolution and building that, that culture that we're going to go to this, show them over time that you mean business, that this is the way it's going to be. And then hiring the new people in, building your benches that fit into the module that you're building with the teams that they're going to fit into and type of work that they're going to do, that they're actually happy doing that kind of work. So many people are doing work that this doesn't suit their personalities, but they figure they have to pay the bills. But when you hire those people to replace them, you're going to hire the people who are happy doing that kind of work and make sure that before they come in, they fit the culture. So identifying the culture is another thing that we do. So identifying the culture and hiring to fit the culture is super important, but hard to do. So how do you work with people to be able to do that? It's not that hard when you have science on your side. It's a very easy assessment. Again, 30 to 45 minute assessment, 61 pages per employee. So we get a humongous report that tells them, it tells you as the manager exactly the way that these employees like to be talked to. What are their drivers? What are their motivation? What's their tools and strengths and weaknesses? And more importantly, what value do they bring to your organization? Everyone brings a value, but are you utilizing it? Are you harnessing what really makes that employee tick? And if you're not, you put them in the right position and you can watch a weed turn into a rose. I promise you, I've seen it time and time again. It's really not the bad people. It's bad managers not asking and asking the right question, building relationships. And this tool makes it easier than ever. And it's very inexpensive. It's less, it's about a hundred dollars an employee to take this test and then to bring the people in in the future. Same thing, a hundred dollars to figure out if someone's going to fit your organization or not. That's priceless. So, how do we turn that weed into a rose? What are what are some of the the core things that the person does after after they know what they're where they score and how they fit with the company? What are some of the other things they walk away with? Well, of course, it depends on how big your organization is because if you don't if you only have a person who's making widgets and you already have someone you know one HR person, one marketing person, one sales guy, you can't move them around. But if you have a couple hundred people organization and a person is identified as a widget puncher because that's how they came in, but you you can tell they're very creative. They've got some marketing experience. They love to design websites on their part time. Well, put them in that that department and then watch them be happy with what they're doing. Cause a lot of times, especially, you know, back when you have a family, you just take anything you, you can take. Well, that person has skills and values, but you never ask them. You don't even ask them proper questions on the interview process. Most of the time you're asking them leading questions to find out would you take the job. You know, this is what we do. Can you do this, this, or this? You don't really get a chance to know anyone in an interview. So this assessment helps you get to know them without even really speaking to them. It's going to tell you in a, a report and you don't have to read all 61 pages. There's about three or four major pages that will tell you if this person's right for your job or not. And when it, your current employees take it, when you talk to them, 
you can probably transition them. Maybe if, if it's time to double your marketing team and put a second person over there, you might be able to do so on an incentive basis. Okay. Rather than paying them an hourly or giving them a, a raise, make an incentive base. So there's a lot of ways you can work with money that people will be very open to that you don't even realize because you haven't spoken with them. So when someone brings Jeremy in to speak at like an industry conference or something like that, what, what, what does the audience walk away with? What, what, what do you do in the speaking side of your world? Well, I tell my story. So you get a lot of, you know, rah, rah, feel good, you know, overcoming adversity because the story that I have is kind of tragic, but I make it funny and, and that sounds kind of funny, but you know, if I didn't have a sense of humor and laugh about it, you know, what, what am I going to do? Right. Someone used to ask me a long time ago, you know, and you never complain. I say, well, who listens, who would listen to me anyway? Right. So you make it positive, show them though, that you are able to overcome that mindset. So powerful. Cause it just didn't happen once I was bankrupt. I lost a business 12 years ago, lost my home and basically was homeless with my two sons in, in my care. Right. At uh, four, I don't know, four and three years old. So this is not new, this adversity having to overcome it, but that mindset, because I had been successful before didn't take me 20 more years to get successful again. It took me about a year and a half to get a decent job. And then another 10 years to build a second company up to where I just sold it. Like you mentioned earlier, but it's going to happen again. Adversity is not something that just happens once and goes away. Once you learn how to deal with it happens over again. So we talked about that. I, t- I teach them my four guiding principles to building a successful company and seven key questions to transform any business. I call it the harness, harnessing your power of words. So you, you learn about these seven words, turn them into seven questions. And if you ask these seven questions, you'll transform your business. I promise you. And I give them specific resources that they can implement tomorrow to find out if their employees are engaged or not immediately, very fast. All right, let's go through. What are the four principles in the Reader's Digest ah. version? <laughs> uh, so glad you asked. So number one is I definitely like to um, ask yourself, do you act at the speed of instruction? Do you, you have that sense of urgency? So when you think of something, do you immediately act on it? Okay. Do you examine your whys? to develop your drive. Motivation is temporary. Zig Ziglar says it's like bathing. It's great, but you need one every day. But if you have true drive, that replaces motivation, okay? So asking your whys, being aware, um, let's see, examining your whys, serving your, your the needs of the company, walking in service, having a mindset that you are not here to get to take, you're here to give. So the go-giver principle is, is the biggest one. And then um, probably the, for, the fourth one would be building personal relationships to build your brand. It's probably the most important one. When you meet people, do not make it a transactionary relationship. Every single person you contact is for a reason to make it personal. What can I do for you? Then they're going to think of you as a thought leader and think of you when they need business. You'll never have to sell again if you build personal relationships to build your brand. Awesome. And then you said you have seven questions that are going to transform your business. What are those questions? You want me to give the farm away? Okay. We're giving the farm away right now. Absolutely. (laughs) I can do this for solopreneurs or entrepreneurs. So it's the same questions, but you would make it, you know, multiple and for other people. So I was going to go for businesses of multiple employees. Number one for harness, the H is are your employees happy? Basically, it's that simple. When's the last time you talked to them to find out their state of mind? Is your organization, uh, how their lives are doing? All right. I call it the how's your mom and them quit talk. Okay. Uh, the a for harness is, are we aware of the employee's behavior types? 
Again, given that assessment, yes, you're going to be aware of the employee's behavior types and the traits that go along with it. Number three, the R in harness is are we building meaningful relationships with your teams? So are your C-level executives building personal relationships with the people below them and possibly one level below them? So that depending on how big the organization is, there is some go arounds to conflict resolution where they can feel comfortable going around their manager to the one above them. The N is, are we open to new ideas? Okay. When's the last time you asked the people who are actually doing the work, is there uh, new ways to do things? Um, the E is, are we examining again, the whys of the company or has the, the company mission statement been stagnant? Because as you grow, that should progress and that should change. So how's your, are you examining your whys? The S, the last two S's are serving and speed. Are we serving the client's need or that of the bottom line of the company? And are we acting at the speed of instruction? Meaning, do, have we lost touch with the sense of urgency of why we even started this business in the first place? Is there a sense of urgency to get things done, not only for yourself, for your customers, for your employees, for your vendors, for your distributors? That goes out all the way wide. Those are my seven questions. That, no, that's awesome. And we've crammed a lot into the last few minutes with a lot of information. We've basically gotten all of Jeremy's information and shoved it into the last five minutes there. So as we wrap up this interview, what's the one thing you wish that every business owner, whether they're a solopreneur or uh, the owner of a larger business or even the, the manager, they don't own it, but they're the CEO. What is it that you wish everybody knew when it came to everything that you talk about and teach? Well, I think that I wish everyone knew how much people want to help. And when you start acting and leading as a server, your employees are going to follow suit. When you start giving back to your communities, when you start taking the kids from high school, uh, junior achievement, bringing them in, giving them internships and, and showing the good stuff that they can look forward to before they go off to school and learn uh, book smarts, they should learn real, real business smarts. Uh, I always say mindset, financial IQ, business elements are much more important than anything technical that a kid can learn coming out from high school to college. So this walking in the, in service, being an example, your employees will go through walls if you've done everything you've asked them to do and you are willing to do it with them. Really, I, I just, I'm a man who's done everything and every single time that I've, I've hired someone and cultured and, and brought them up and brought them through an organization, to this day, they'll just, they'll do anything for me because they know I would do anything for them. So Jeremy, if somebody's listening to this and they're like, we got to find out more about this guy, how do they find you? Well, my last name is Two Risk, and I'm at Jeremy at Taurus Pro Advisors. I do have a website or uh, the book called Labor to Leadership, but you could probably go, your best bet is LinkedIn. Just go to Jeremy, J-E-R-E-M-Y, and then Taurus, T-O-R-I-S-K on LinkedIn. That's what my LinkedIn page looks at for your, your viewers. Uh, my email address is Jeremy at TouristProAdvisors.com. For your viewers, my phone number is there. Uh, have call me 954-338-9799. Again, my last name is spelt to risk. My blood type is B positive, so how could you go wrong? <laughs> you know, my blood type is A positive. It's the only time I ever got an A plus in my life, but there we go. <laughs> All right, Jeremy, thanks for I being- I resemble that comment. <laughs> That's right. Thank you so much for being a guest here on Making Waves at Sea Level. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. You know, I say it every single show, if it wasn't for the audience, why would we do this podcast? Do me a favor, go tell some friends. When I talk to people who like this podcast, I always say, how did you find my little show? And they always say, I was recommended by my mom, my boss, my brother, my neighbor. So if you are like 
podcasts around growing business and you've got friends who like the same thing, make sure you've told them about making waves at sea level. We're going to be back in a couple of days with somebody just as cool as Jeremy. And you're thinking, what? How will you ever find anybody that cool? But we will. In the meantime, go out there, flex your own business muscles. Make sure that your career ladder is against the right wall because you don't want to climb the career ladder to find out you're in the wrong place. And while you're out there doing all this, have some fun. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.